if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've kind of had the same theme. If you've been with us for months, we've been in, in Samuel for a while. But the theme the last couple of weeks have been David is sparing the lives of evil men. So we have a chapter where he spares the life of of Saul when he had the opportunity to kill him in the cave. You remember that story probably. And he chose not to. We have the story where last week where he chose to to spare the life of Nabal after being held accountable for maybe some some bad intentions and thoughts he might have had at the very beginning. And then the day we get to see him spare Saul again. So if you if you think back to chapter 24 and you look at chapter 26 today, two very similar stories. But the thing is, the focus is different. And I think that's that's what scripture tries to gab is by what it focuses on at at certain levels in certain chapters. Chapter 24, we talk about returning good for evil. It was a, a wording that was used. It was a practice that was used when he had Saul in the cave. Uh, here in chapter six, we now get a different idea, and, and it comes from David's words of leaving it up to God. Cause we should leave some of our troubles up to the Lord. Um, and maybe we would learn to handle stuff better if we would just leave stuff up to God instead of trying to handle it ourselves. Uh, I don't know about your problems and your situations, but when I try to handle stuff myself, it generally gets worse. Um, you know, and maybe that's a direct correlation of how I handle things. Uh, and maybe that's just the honest truth of, we weren't made to handle certain stuff. We were meant to trust and obey God uh, and let God handle certain things. So uh, in doing that, right in the middle, we get chapter 25 from last week where Abigail holds David accountable for maybe being a little rash, maybe wanting to take things into his into his own hands. Let me repeat that again. He gets in trouble for wanting to take things into his own hands. Um, and, and here, I think that's why he's so quick in this chapter to understand how to handle Saul at this particular moment. Uh, so before we jump into the verse by verse, here's the question you got to ask. Maybe write it down. Uh, if you're like me, looking at it helps. Will you leave it up to God or will you handle it in your own hands? Will you do it your own way, the way of the flesh? Or will you allow the way of the, the spirit to, to be done through that? And I would say this, and I, ho- I hope this resonates uh, through a lot of things. Obedience to God is built on trusting God. We can't obey God if we're not going to trust God. And if we're not obeying God, then maybe we're telling God, God, I don't trust you. Uh, kind of reminds me of, of one of my favorite movies. I don't know. I know a few of you have because I've watched it with some of you. Uh, but remember the Titans. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, you know, a very quick overview of it. Uh, it's, it's dated back in the sixties where, uh, you know, they were, they were beginning to mix the schools together and everything. And, and you've got these, these football players, two, two main guys, Jerry Bertier and, and the other, uh, the other defensive, lineman slash linebacker and they end up becoming best friends but it didn't start that way and there's this one little section right in the middle after camp and and things started to go well and 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 gary looks at at this at this time he's a he's a black linebacker black defensive player and he looks at me and tells him something that sounds so good but then it ends in kind of a weird way and he looks at me and says man you've got so much talent it's not even funny he said you're probably one of the most talented players i've ever seen play the game he said but you're selfish you know, and, and I don't know how many people know much about football, but but this particular guy who's the captain would be a linebacker. The other in a lot of plays was playing playing defensive line. And what he's saying is you blow right past that offensive lineman to get into backfield. You're playing selfish football. He said, you just leave me in particular and other linebackers out here hanging for that blindside black for, block from the offensive lineman that's coming on up. And, and they're going back and forth and going back and forth. And finally, the guy responds back to him and says, look, man, are you the leader of this team? Gary Bertier said, yeah, I'm the only All-American on the team. You know, he, he's got that title, no doubt about it. And he goes, well, maybe then you should tell some of your white linemen 
to start blocking for their black brother in the backfield whenever he's back there. And that's where the scene kind of ends. And you're like, man, what what exactly is going to go on? Well, anybody who's ever watched the movie know there's heated moments in it, just like there was at that current time period and in life. And and a little bit later on, they get one of these good outside practices. Anybody's ever played some good practice where you got the car lights surrounding the field and, and the moment is just set. And, and finally, Gary Bertier, the white linebacker, he sees it. He watches one of his white brothers miss a block intentionally that allows a black player to get nailed. And he runs over there and rips this guy a new one. And I don't know what the 19, maybe some of you older people who just turned 66 and, and whatnot, maybe you can help me with this line because I've never understood it. He says, look, if you don't start blocking, I'm going to hit you so hard you're going to need a new haircut. <laughs> I didn't understand the line. Maybe it's because I don't have to worry about getting haircuts or what. But but anyway, the, the, the black gentleman sees it. And the very next play, and from the rest of the movie and the rest of the time, that defense is lights out. And it's because then he was able to obey his position because then he was able to trust his leader. And church, I'm going to tell you right now, we can't obey God if we don't trust God. And God is a whole lot more trustworthy and worth being obeyed than some linebacker on the football field. OK, so so that's where I want us to, to look at and get our mindset going. And this first scene right here, back to verses one through seven, where Mike read for us, we've got to learn to trust God to make things right. See, if we don't trust God, we want to make things right on our own. And when we want to make things right on our own, sometimes that gets us in a little bit of trouble. So I wrote down two things. How in the world can we trust God to make things right? And the very first way we can trust God to make things right is we got to watch out for temptation. Because temptation is coming and that warning is given over and over and repeatedly throughout Scripture. And you can even put it this way, and I, I happen to like this one even better. You can't trust God to make things right. If you insist on doing things wrong. Does that make sense? Do we understand that? We can't trust God to make things right if we're going to insist and continue to do things wrong. We've talked about Saul this entire series on how much I think God was giving him grace and giving him mercy and giving him opportunities over and over and over again. But God could never make Saul right because Saul insisted on being wrong. In some of the situations we get ourselves in in our very own lives, we wonder why we're going through it, why we're having to handle this, and why is this way? And repeatedly, God has tried to make things right, but you two hell-bent on insisting on things being and acting wrong. And there is the side and consequences that it leads to for us. So look at verses 1 through 7. Go back to them. In this passage for both Saul and David are packed full of temptations. The very first start of it, Saul has promised, if you remember where we left him in chapter 24, he's promised to leave David alone. Now, you notice we talked about it before. Uh, just because somebody promises something don't mean you have to immediately trust them. David goes his way. Saul goes his way. And good reason so, because here we are just a couple chapters later. And these guys have come up to Saul and said, hey, we know where David's hiding at. We've got it. Now, Saul's got an option right there. He can stop and say, you know what? I made a vow. I made a promise. I am not going to chase down David any longer. Forget about hunting him down. Forget about telling me where he's hiding. I'm going to begin my turnaround for kingship and, and, and begin to act and be who I'm supposed to act and be like. So that temptation is there. But once again, God can't make things right if we insist on doing them wrong. What does Saul do? 
He says, I want my 3000 chosen men. Don't forget that part. That part's important because you could really read this and be like, man, he's just trying to go over there and say, hey, to David, what's up? He didn't just go to say, hey, what's up with 3000 chosen guys? All right. Remember, these were chosen soldiers. These were the elite. You know, these were the snipers and the rangers and the seals and, and, and all that stuff. So, so he's got that group and he goes over there and he gets right back into his old tricks. And we need to understand this, both whether we're Saul or David in the story. Temptations are going to keep on coming and we got to continue to decide if we're going to do right or wrong. Just because you made one right decision doesn't make you believe. And please don't fall into the trap of believing that temptations aren't going to keep coming. Sometimes I think we get so proud of ourselves for winning one battle with temptation and we think we've won the war and it's all over. And then we're knocked off our high horse the minute another temptation comes. Temptations are going to keep on coming. And you and I have a requirement as, as kingdom people to continue to decide whether I'm going to obey God or whether I'm going to obey man and go through this. David faces temptations in this passage, too. Look at the picture it's set up. He learns that Saul's back, so he does like any good. Remember, David is an army type guy. He's a military mindset. So he sends scouts out there to check and make sure Saul's actually in this camp. It's not just hearsay and, and whatnot. And he hears this. And he finds out that Saul and his, his new commander, Abnar, is in there and they're sleeping right in the middle of the camp. Some of y'all's translations may have talked about a trench being around it. And that's where they would, they would literally use the wagons and stuff to make a, a little barrier, a trench around it. And he's right in the middle of this. He's sleeping right around all these 3,000 chosen men. You know, so I want you to picture this scene now. Sometimes I think we don't do this, this scene justice with some of the little small words that, that are there. It says that Saul's in the middle. He's sleeping right beside his bodyguard, who, by the way, is responsible for killing a lot of people. He is he is really a bad dude. You've studied some of Chronicles and other stuff where it, where it lists some of his stuff. I mean, he really is a, an honorable military type guy as far as, as that goes. So he picked a good guy. He's surrounded by 3,000 chosen men. Now, I watch movies and stuff, and you watch ninjas and, and all that stuff sneak in. Yeah, I go back to my boyhood when, when you read a story like this. Why not, you know? So you think about that, and you think, you know, one of the things that makes those guys good soldiers, good ninjas, good, good, good fighting type guys is they can wake up fast. You know, I mean, you watch the scene and sometimes they don't even move like their eyes are just watching the bad guy or the good guy as he as he sneaks in and they're ready to do damage. Well, this story doesn't say anything about that. This story says that David and his guy just sneak on in the camp like they the best camp invaders that, that have ever been made and created. And, and, and aren't spotted, aren't snuck, or nothing goes on. And, and I love this fact. David goes himself once he realized Saul's there. Don't miss that. See, sometimes we think we should just send people out to do what, what we need to do. No, David goes himself. David goes himself and he just asked, anybody want to go with me? I need one guy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, all right, David, you, you asking for one guy. You're about to walk into the camp with 3,000 chosen men. And you just want to take one guy with Like, you sure you don't want to bring, like, you know, uh, all 600 of us, at least 400 of us, like we was ready to go to war in the last chapter or, or something like that. And then you got David's nephew, which we know that from Chronicles chapter two, by the way, uh, just some background on him, which we'll see more in second Samuel when we get to there. Uh, I mean, he, he is a prominent, he's going to have a prominent role and, and he's a big time soldier type guy too. He's a fighter. So instantly this kind of guy says, Hey, I'll go with you, David. I'll go with you. I'll go see and check out exactly what's going on here. And they get to camp and they sneak through all these sleeping soldiers. Saul's lying right in the middle, sound asleep. And David has yet another opportunity 
to kill his enemy. Because what does the story tell us? The story tells us that as Saul was sleeping right there, right beside him was the spear. Now think about what do we know about that spear? It was chunked to David multiple times, right? So you're looking at the very weapon your enemy tried to destroy you with. Why he's sleeping, laying on the ground, totally defenseless. And it's right there for you to grab and take care of business. Yet David doesn't. Why? Because you can't trust God to make things right if you insist on doing things wrong. And he knows this is the wrong way to handle it. Would it have been easy? Sure. But please understand me as a believer. If it's always easy, it ain't always right. Okay? Most of the time, if it's too easy, there's a reason it's too easy because it's too wrong. Okay, so 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 go with this thing. And and even Jesus tells his own disciples this. So is it like a a bad idea or a different idea? Matthew 26, 41. Watch out and pray so that you don't fall into the easy temptations. Because it's the easy temptations that get us. So so think about that. Once again, David is stuck with an opportunity. Is he going to trust God to do it God's way or is he going to handle it his way? And when it comes to seeking personal revenge, guys, please be aware of the warning signs to watch out for temptation. Because when it's revenge, it's emotionally driven. It's heart driven. And what does scripture tell us about the heart? The heart is evil, wicked, bad. All right. So if you're driven by the heart, generally, that's going to be a bad direction that you're driving down. Okay. Second thing that looks here, we want to trust God to make things right from the same scene. Remember, it's God's job to decide stuff and not yours. Isn't that just an easy idea, but but it's an easy idea to say, but it's not really an easy idea to practice, right? It is God's job to decide. Look at verse eight. Because we fall into the same trap that David's nephew tries into right here. Then Abishai said to David, today God has handed you. Doesn't that sound spiritual? You ever notice sometime, and I don't think, you know, his nephew's necessarily an evil guy. I think he really believes what, what he's saying. Today God has handed your enemy over to you. Let me. He sees David's not going to do it. He sees it. He said David's there. David's a military concept, too. So he knows if David doesn't pick the spear up, jab him right away. David's just not going to do it. So what does he follow through it? Let me thrust the spear through him. I love the wording of this guy, right? Into the ground just once. What's he saying? David, it ain't going to take me but one hit, bro. I'm not. I'm not Saul. I'm not going to miss three times. Just give me one. Just let me thrust him and pin him to the ground. One time and I will take care of business. It'll be over. You'll be king. Everything will begin to change. I won't even have to strike him twice is what he says. And think of the possibilities if you're David. Now the burden is not on you to commit a sin. It's on somebody else who's willing and able to do it. How easy would it have been to say, you know what, man, you've already killed lots of people. Go ahead, kill another. Solve my problem for me. But then that would be insisting on handling things wrong and God could never make that right. Right. Is it not true on what follows through here? So, so look at this. And, and, and here's what I want us to understand, because I do believe David's nephew wasn't trying to be evil. He's trying to handle something, handle it with with emotion and heart rather than handle it God's way. Favorable circumstances aren't always a clear sign of what God's path is for you. Favorable circumstances aren't necessarily a clear path of what God wants for you. Now, that makes sense, but think about how easy this is, right? College or high school years, you you may say as a believer, I know I'm not supposed to unequally date. 
You know, I, I know I'm supposed to only date believers and, and people who are like minded like me. But then you could easily play the card of, well, God had a 4,000 kids in the school. You just happened to bring that good looking sugar mama into my classroom. Maybe the circumstances are a sign of what you intend to work through. Good Lord. Right. And if you did wise up and get a little older, maybe you got these things that come in the mail called bills. And maybe you don't have a lot of extra money in the account. So, you know, you ain't got extra money to spend. But you really would like to have a new car, right? So you just happen to be looking through the paper and it just happened to say interest rates low. We can finance you no matter what your credit score is. And you say that just must be a sign. Do we not as people we laugh, but be honest with us. Do we not as people let circumstances be signs to us more than anything else. That's got to be one of the dumbest things we do. Think about that. And then we play the game. Is that really a, a sign for, for what God is, is wanting? How about let's let God's word be the deciding factor? Because a circumstance is never higher than the word of God. And a circumstance is never going to trump the word of God. If God tells you to be a good steward of your money, then don't go buy something you can't afford no matter what guarantee. The dealership can give you. OK, if God tells you this is the way you should act and respond and this is who you should be with, then don't dare let circumstances trump God's word. God's plan may entail some suffering. So stop looking for the shortcut. Most shortcuts, if we're honest, they overpromise and they underdeliver. Think about it. Most shortcuts overpromise and they underdeliver. We try to still go through with them. So what does David really do here? What does David do when his cousin said, or nephew says, I'm sorry, you know, let me take care of him. David responds with two answers, two awesome answers, by the way. First thing he says in these verses right after eight is he says, Saul is the Lord's anointed. God put him in that position. And if God's ready for him to get out of position, God to do it. Second thing he says is that God himself will be the one to take care of Saul. Now, I believe that was a good lesson that he learned from the last chapter, because if you remember how Nabal's life ends he has this stroke and then this heart attack and he's gone like god did it all saul didn't have to do nothing the 400 soldiers that were dressed up for battle didn't have to do nothing god handled every single thing so at this point david has allowed some circumstances he didn't really want to go through a longer waiting period on getting to where he's supposed to be promised to be but he's now beginning to see this period is allowing me to trust god a little bit more with every situation in my life if god did it to that guy he can handle it again this time so either Saul's time is going to come to an end, he's going to die, or some other battle, God's going to take care of Saul. But God will be the one to handle exactly what's going to what's going to go through with this thing. Trust God in his timing. Now, now David's going to do two things in this chapter that I think we as people struggle with the most. We like to rush things. We don't like to wait. David's going to learn to wait. And we don't like to forgive as much as we preach it and talk about it and say it. Ain't one of us. I just can't wait to forgive somebody. You know, that's like the great. I just can't wait to do it. We don't. David's going to practice forgiveness and learn forgiveness in this thing repeatedly through how he handles through he handles Saul. Why? Because David understands this. It's not my job. It's God's job. And when I try to do God's job, that's telling God, God, I don't trust you enough to do your job the right way. So I'm going to handle it my way. What does he do? He says, hey, Abishai, grab Saul's spear and his water jug and let's go home. Now, I just had, you know, I'm a picture guy, so I'm picturing all this scene repeatedly. I close my eyes when whoever's reading each week just so I can picture the scene again. I'm just just that type of 
type of reader, type of person. It'd make a good movie about it. And I picture this guy is mad as fire, but still obeying David because he knows David's role, right? He goes over there, he snatches up that spear, right? He snatches up that water jug, maybe even hoping that somebody will wake up. Huh? Maybe even intentionally hoping it. And nobody wakes up and he marches his happy butt all the way back to the other camp and he gets a t-shirt made. You gotta get a t-shirt when you did something cool, right? He gets a t-shirt made. The t-shirt says, I went to camp and all I got was this lousy spear and water jug. Right? He does this. David's absolutely right though because of what David learned last, well, I say last week for David's probably months. Months ago, but months ago, David was reminded of what we study in chapter 24, what's repeated in Romans chapter 12, where it says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, repay, says the Lord. Maybe you ought to write this down. We need to leave a little more room in our life. We need to leave a little more room in our life, a little more room for God's wrath, a little more room for God's work, a little more room for God to work. You know, we've crammed our lives with so much stuff that God's got no room to work anymore in our lives. And then we wonder why we don't get to see God do the things that God says he'll do. And God's just saying, look, man, you so packed full of junk. I ain't got no space to work. God sometimes needs some space to work. So let's leave a little more room in our lives for God to get stuff done. And then maybe we'd be able to handle the temptations. We'd be able to understand that it's God's job and not ours. We'd be able to play the the waiting game and and practice forgiveness better because we would then be actually a trusting God with every situation. Obeying God, because if we obey God, then we trust God. If we don't trust, then we don't obey. And maybe we'd be able to handle some stuff like David does. This next scene, David jumps into probably our second lesson. Not only do we we have to trust God to to do what God's going to do, we got to trust God to protect us. And you trust in God, not in people. I love the what I think at least scripture is painting and 12 through 16 here. Look at 12 through 16. David takes all spear, takes the water jug. They leave camp. They make it in and out of camp without anybody waking up. Now y'all laugh, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I wrote down in my notes. I wrote down that God had put the Benadryl spirit. He put the Benadryl spirit on Saul and his army. And, and, and I'm not lying. Look at verse 12 real fast. Look back at it. So David took the spirit and the water jug and Saul's head. And they went their way. No one saw them. No one knew. And no one woke up. They all remained asleep because a deep sleep from Yahweh came over them. Now, that's important. Because David and his man could get back and they could brag about how good they were, how sneaky they were, how camp invaderish they were, if that's even the right way of saying it and all that. But instead, they get back and when they write about this thing, they say we could only do it because Yahweh was protecting us. Because he and his Benadryl spirit had kept them people asleep the entire time. Now, now picture these two scenes, because here's what I mean by I think scripture has painted this thing out really well for us. These guys snuck into a camp with 3000 trained soldiers, got out, no questions asked, no problem, never saw perfectly safe because they trusted in the Lord. What What is Saul doing right now? Look, look, look at the scene on what exactly Saul is really doing here. Is he trusting in God or is he trusting in people? He's got him a new commander in chief after his little expedition in the cave, right? So that tells you he's already afraid of David. He's got a new bodyguard, right? Which, by the way, I'm going to like in a minute when David calls out this bodyguard. You you remember the scene where where he gets out of the camp and he looks back and he yells, right? 
And he calls out this guy specifically directing his attention to the missing spear and the water jug. And he tells him, basically says, man, you suck. As bodyguard, you need to do a better job. Um, you thought you was filling my position, but you're not doing as good as I would do at it. And he, he does all that. Right. But 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 he, here's the here's the opposite scene. Saul has got himself a bodyguard. He himself is asleep in the middle of three thousand soldiers. Yet he's the most vulnerable person, defenseless in this scene. Because he's trusting in people and not trusting in God. You see the difference in the two pictures? You got Saul, you got Saul who's trusting in man and he's, he doesn't get hurt. This is God's grace, God's mercy, God's planning, God's way of doing it, however you want to word it, right? But, but he's vulnerable and he could have. He could have been eliminated easily, right? Because he's trusting in, trusting in people. And then you got, then you got David and his man who's trusting in the Lord. And he says this in a minute. Trust the Lord. He trusts in the Lord and he's perfectly safe despite the dangerous situation he's really in. So you can get yourself in some really dangerous situations as long as it's the situation God wanted you to be in and he'll protect you and keep you perfectly safe. So as we trust in God, not in people. I hate to say it, but people let you down. They will. I don't care how good they are, how awesome they are, how religious they are, how special. I mean, they will let you down. Scripture says that God will never forsake us. So look at Psalm 146. Do not put your trust in princes and mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans came to nothing. People will fail us. Trust in God, not in man. How many of y'all made a New Year's resolution for your workout? Come on, just be honest. It's the number one thing. None of you? You're all going to stay fat in 2020? Oh, now we raise. Oh, yeah, no, no, I didn't mean to. Hey, I know some of you do. You posted it on Facebook. You know, I know why I don't post it on Facebook because then y'all would hold me accountable when I don't get slim and trim again in the next year. Right now, there's no accountability, so I can fail on my own and, and I'm good to go. But I know some of you did, so I got this workout routine. Y'all can decide. This is really actually a very awesome routine, but it's kind of neat lesson in the two, okay? So if you want to build up your arms, build up your shoulders, men, two things ladies really like is a good broad shoulder and a good looking arm, okay? So here's what you do. Y'all can decide. I'm telling you now, this is real. It comes with guarantees on it. You, you, you get you some potato sacks, five pound potato sacks. All right. Just five pounds. You start real easy. You stand with your back against the wall and, 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 and however long you can hold it, you hold your arms straight out for as long as you can with the five pound potato sacks. And then you come back down and do another rep. You get to where you can hold your arms up for a minute at a time. That's a long time to hold your arms up now. All right. No matter how, 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 how. It says this, you do this for up to two months. One minute on, two minutes relaxing, going on and on, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. At that mark, you should be in the mood where you can begin to add weight. All right, so now you're going to move up to a 10-pound potato sack. You do this for a couple weeks because your muscles are now developing faster and are ready for this. You should be able to then move up to a 20-pound potato sack. After a few more weeks, possibly even a month, try a 50-pound potato sack doing the same routine, the same exercise. Eventually, you'll get to the point, guaranteed, now this guy guarantees it, guaranteed, believe it or not, you will actually be able to lift a 100-pound potato sack in each hand while holding your arms this way with your back straight against the wall. Once you've reached that area of your expertise in the exercise, you possibly will be ready to put potatoes in the sack. Let it sink in. Some of y'all are a little slower than the rest of the that's funny, guys, but here's the truth. <laughs> when I really did read that this week, here's what it made me think of. Is that physical exercise not exactly how some of us exercise our faith in God? We hold up a bunch of empty sacks 
and we think we've done something. But the minute we got to put potatoes in the sack, the minute trouble comes, the minute something, the minute something heavy hits us, the minute something, the, the minute something important happens, we can't hold up nothing. We can't hold up nothing because we haven't done anything to train ourselves this right, this way. You'll truly begin to discover how strong your faith and trust in God is when you begin to deal with some things repeatedly. Repeatedly. Now, David deals with a lot of stuff repeatedly in his walk with the Lord. And I think that that's huge and that's important. Because even if you are really doing some exercises, that first rep, there ain't nothing to it. There's not, I mean, unless you're going for like a max. But if you're doing a, a workout routine where you're going for, for reps, that first rep should be easy. If it's not, you got too much weight. But but those later reps, say by the time you get to 20, 25, 30, if you're doing the high intensity, you know, the reps, those reps, that's when the burn begins to happen. That's when you begin to feel something. Why? Because it's in the higher reps of handling the same weight that the muscle gets built. Is that not the same with our faith? The more we have to handle something, the more the more we have to build up that faith and that muscle and that trust in God. I mean, look, look at just these short chapters. How much David is able to handle this situation different. He's not even tempted to cut off a piece of his garment. Remember, he got mad at himself in the cave for cutting off a piece of the garment. He's not even doing that this time. He says, you know what? Just get the spear, get the water jug. We're going to give it back in just a minute. But get it. Let's cross just so they know we were here. So don't say it was a story. But, you know, let's get ready for this. At least that's my speculation. We never know why David actually went through this routine. Okay, but he's handling everything different because he's repeatedly had the reps of his trust and obedience in God being increased. God's got you going through some stuff, church, so that you can increase your obedience and your trust in him. You go through stuff in your marriages so that they get stronger. You go through stuff in the child raising period of your life so that you can choke a child out and feel better about yourself. I mean, so that so that you can handle handle stress differently as it goes on. This is this repetition is where it's at. It's where it's at. 1516, David ridicules this guy for his lack of security. 24 through 25, or 23 through 24, I'm sorry, which we're going to get to in a minute. David says where he put his trust. So Saul's got his trust in his army. David's got his trust in the Lord. What does David say? 17 through 20, I'm going to commit my way to the Lord. If the Lord's going to, if you're going to trust in the Lord to protect you, then you're going to be able to commit to his way and not your way. Look, look at what happened. 17 through 20, Saul recognized David's voice again. What do you think goes through Saul's head when he hears this voice? There was, I, I don't know. I just thought about it. Like, that time he heard it coming out of the cave. You know, what, what was his first thought? Holy crap. You know, I mean, what's about to happen? You know, when he hears his voice again, yell back. Hey, wake up your bodyguard. Tell him to look beside you. I got your sword, your water jug, and I trimmed your beard. Yeah. You know, look at this. Right. Here's what David says. He says, yeah, it's me. You know, it's me. And his response right here is awesome, guys. He says, you know what, Saul? If God told you to come get me, I'll lay right here and sacrifice myself. It'll be over. But if wicked people, if evil men have been the ones promoting you to come get me, well, then they be cursed before the Lord. Right? I mean, just just look at look at his, his confidence. He's literally saying, look, if God told you to do this, Saul, I'm done, man. I'm yours. But if if you're doing this because of people, then curse be you and curse be them. He goes even deeper in this sectional saying where he's really getting one of the few times we get to see David's real heart and struggle, you know, written down during this section. I don't know if you caught it, but, but look at what he says. They've driven me away from my inheritance. What are they driven him away from? 
family, his first wife, you know, possibly who knows at this point, kids, you know, his position, multiple positions, his wealth, you know, not that he was ever rich in family, but man, he sure did get rich in popularity. Right. We talked about different types of riches a couple weeks ago. So, so you're driven him away from all this. What do you say? You've also encouraged me to worship other gods. Man, now you see in a real struggle that David, which, by the way, David is actually going to go into that struggle deeper in, in, in later chapter. Um, but he but he says that he says not only to driven away from my inheritance, which at this point in inheritance would be the covenant community living under Israel. He's also saying you're now tempting me to serve false gods and hang out with the ungodly people. He's saying these areas that you've pushed me to. The temptations are there for me no longer to worship Yahweh, but to worship other gods and to do things other way. Believers, believers, be real careful when we push away other believers, because we don't know what we may be pushing them to. And sometimes it may be us, as sad as that is, who push them into a feeling of being pushed away from their inheritance and being encouraged to worship other ways and other things. David's just being honest right here. What's happening, right? He's just being blunt with with what's going on. Psalm 37 says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make sure your righteousness shines like the dawn and the justice of your cause, like the new day, noonday sun. You want to leave it up to God? Then trust God to protect you. You want to leave it up to God? Here, here's the third thing. Trust God to reward you. So, so we trust God to make things right. We trust God to protect us. Then we trust God to handle the reward. Because scripture says as God rewards those who do right. Now, no, you're not getting a lottery winning ticket number or nothing like that when you walk out of here today, okay? God's rewards aren't exactly our style of rewards. 21 through 24. Look first at 21. For the second time, Saul repents. You want to tell me the spirit of God isn't working on Saul? Now, I know we don't like Saul as believers, and, and I know he gets a bad rap all the time. And, and I'm going to be honest, when I first started this series, I had no intention of even thinking this way about Saul. But I can't read some of this stuff and not think the spirit of God is punching Saul square in the nose repeatedly. David didn't have to say anything deeper this time than the fact that, hey, man, if God's telling you to do it, I'll lay down. If people's telling you to do it, curse me on them. By the way, you ought to think about this. You're pushing me away from my inheritance and you're encouraging me to leave my relationship with Yahweh. And th- that short little four sentence thing that David says, Saul instantly repents. You know what? I've been wrong. And what does he do? He promises again, no harm. Somebody keep promising you the same thing. Ladies, hear me here. If a man keeps promising you the same thing repeatedly, Without living up to those promises, stop believing the jerk. Okay? Follow David's example right here. What's going to happen in a couple verses, right? Look at what happens. 22, before we get to the big lesson. 22, David tells Saul to send one of his young men on over to get the spear. He says, you you repent. I just took it to teach you a lesson. Send a man over. I'll give him the spear, the water jug, and you can take it back. 23 says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. It makes you wonder who David's really talking about here, right? I think he's talking about himself. He's flat out calling, kind of like Lori did with, with needing some money. You know, she's saying, God, I don't want to be the spokesperson that, you know, is the one out there always asking for money. The church gets a bad rap for that already. But if you need it, you do. Then it's up to you how it's going to get handled. And God has sent checks in the mail. God has sent people with money. You know, and all, now think about this, guys. Think about this. Here's another lesson to look at with that story that applies perfectly for today. If the person who heard the spirit of God to put money in a check and mail it didn't do so, 
you would have stopped God's work and God's blessing from being done the way God wanted it to do. Not to say you to stop God. God just did it another way. Okay. But you to stop that path that God wanted. If the person wouldn't have saw her at a worship service or Bible study, whatever it was, and said, you know what? I got this extra money and I need it to go to this ministry. If that person didn't do that, they would again stop God's plan, the way, the, the order of God's plan from happening the way it needed to happen. So if you get a, if you get some discernment in your life and the spirit of discernment instead of the spirit of Benadryl, if you get that going on, use that. When God, when God gives you a call and a need, magic money comes in and whatnot, don't be surprised that God's not got a plan already in place for that kind of stuff. Okay? And use it. Be obedient. Be obedient to the Lord. Stop being scared. Trust God because you can obey God. And if you obey God, then you trust God, right? So, so 23, he's saying, and I think he's calling out like Lord. I think he's saying, you know what? God is going to reward the righteous and the faithful. God's going to reward me for doing what I'm doing here. I've been righteous. I've been faithful. I haven't laid a hand on God's anointing. Maybe you could say it this way, the way 24 says it. As surely as David valued Saul's life, God, David expects God to value his life. Now, that's kind of a cool way to be able to, to approach a situation, right? God rewards those who do right. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Huh. Almost like we ought to start helping people in the church and acting like a body of believers. huh? Yeah. Eh? Maybe that's what it's talking about. Right. Look at this last verse 25. I love this, man. God will make even your enemies be at peace with you. Some of y'all right now got enemies that you never think peace is coming. But but God will handle it. God God can handle it. And that's what that's where we need to be. We just need to be in the understanding that God can handle it. Now, people can be evil and choose not to let God's plan work the way it wants to. Right. Don't get me wrong. But God can handle it. Verse 25, last verse of this one. And the last time we get to see Saul and David actually speaking together. Saul said to him, you are blessed. My son, David, notice how stuff starts changing when Saul finally starts speaking things. I, I, I think the drawn out process for David, this just came to me now. I think the drawn out process for David was a consequence of a drawn out process for Saul. Let that sink in for just a minute. And then I want you to think about something in your life. The drawn out process for David was a consequence or because of a drawn out process for Saul. You as a good person, I use that term loosely because scripture uses it loosely because none of us are good. Right. You as a good person, as a believer, may be in a drawn out process because Somebody else is a knucklehead and in a drawn out process. Does that make sense to us? We understand that. I'd never thought about David's David's sole thing of being in this drawn out process may just be a consequence of David having to be in a drawn out thing. Because look at what happens just in three chapters In three chapters. David finally, I mean, Saul, Saul finally admits you are going to be king. What happens? A drastic turnaround. Right. Things have already started turning. We get to this chapter. Finally, Saul says this. You are blessed. My son, he's calling him by son and David again, right? Call him by name. You will certainly do great things and you will also prevail. And I'm, I hate to spoil it, but we never get to see Saul and David have a conversation again. We finally get to a part where their, their relationship is, is finally over. Then David went on his way, thank God, and Saul returned his way. You can be at peace with people and you don't have to return back to their home. Okay. That's all right. That really is. Release the burden of somebody. It don't mean you got to hang out with them. There's nothing in scripture that says when you rekindle the relationship, you should spend all the time you can together. That's not in there. 
That's worldly mixing in with spiritual is what that is. It is. Think about that. Worldly ideas. Oh, if you get along with everybody, you should be able to hang out with everybody. No, I hang out with some of you too long. I will choke you out. Okay. we got to know our limits. Know our limits. Okay. David knows his limits. One, he knows his limits. Two, he knows not to trust somebody who's already lied to him a couple of times. Okay. I say that because sometimes I think we, we read scripture, especially with relationships, unfortunately. And we're like, oh, no, you got to forgive. And when you forgive, you just all hang back out together. You get a guitar, you sit around the fire and you sing kumbaya. There ain't no kumbaya in scripture. That's a human word. That's not a Hebrew word. OK, <laughs> I hope it's not Hebrew. Kumbaya is not Hebrew. OK, all right. I was waiting. I'd be at the back porch today. And somebody was saying, you know, kumbaya in Hebrew means. <laughs> David goes on his way. Saul goes on his. Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord. He makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Guys, don't don't let somebody destroy your peace. Okay? Because you leave that up to God. And and when when you leave that up to God, God handles it. God rewards those who does right. He says it right in his word. Look back at 24 one more time. 24 says, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. David wants to be king. Don't get me wrong. He knows he's supposed to be king. He knows he could claim the throne at any moment after just these last couple of chapters and how easy it would have been to, to eliminate Saul, right? But he doesn't just want the throne. He wants the blessing of God. Some of us want to rush into the position and forget about the blessing of God before we get into the position. That's where he's at. He says, I want the blessing of God. I want to be valued in the eyes of the Lord. I refuse to take the throne through murder and rebellion. I'll wait until God does it his way. We need some godly people that will refuse to take the world's reward through evil, corrupt ways and wait on God to handle it his way. David trusted that God would protect him and God does. He even becomes a king later on in the future and he sits back and he recognizes all the righteousness that was his reward for all the hell he had to deal with. Literally all the trouble and the wickedness and stuff that he went through. Then verse 25, he went his way. Saul invited David to return, but he doesn't. That was verse 21. David doesn't take the invitation. He goes on down. And Samuel 26, 19 will be at next week. David gets faced with temptations that he that he was afraid of in that section of 17 through 20. He's literally going to have to worry about hanging out with the ungodly and, and, and being tempted to, to possibly follow their ways. But no one saw his unstable, deceitful heart. He knows not to trust him, but to be at peace with him. All right? You want to trust God more? Trust God to make things right. You want to let God get it? Let God protect you. Let God reward you. Let obedience to God be built on a trust in God that goes even further. Because when we take matters in our own hands, guys, we're not trusting God. We're literally telling God, God, I need to do your job for you because you're not doing a good enough job. Is that not exactly what we think about that? If your child is doing something and you rush over because you don't like the way they're, I'm bad about this. I have to admit it. So I, I confess my boys right there. I'll ask them to do something. I don't like the way they're doing it. So I'll rush over. I just rather do it myself. Now, I fall into that trap sometimes at, at work as well. I don't like the way it's being done. I'll go do it myself. That's, that's bad leadership, honestly. It, it really is. Because if you're going to trust people to do it, you need to teach them how you want it done and then let them do it. Okay? There's got to be a hands-off approach at certain levels and you've got to be okay with it. All right? You got you got Same thing with God. If I'm telling God, I just want you to handle Mike. I don't know what's wrong with him. Why he's so grumpy. Why he can't handle nothing. Maybe he just hadn't heard the news that he got the new job or, you know, you're going on and on and on about. But then I'm constantly hounding Mike. Mike, you need to change the way you're at, man. I don't like your attitude. 
I'm texting him 24-7. Look, man, you grumpy, and it's showing off on your kid. All five of your boys done texted me and said, you was a grumpy man at the house, and you need to change that. Deidre done called me and said, her back ain't getting from anything physical. It's from you and your stress. And all, you know, uh, Am I really letting God handle Mike, or am I trying to handle Mike? See the difference? We need to let go and let God. Now, be careful with a phrase like that, but I do like it when it comes to situations that we know God has ordained and God wants to handle. Okay? Don't let go of something God didn't tell you to let go of. Y- y'all got that? Yeah, that'd be a dangerous spot. Well, God, pastor said let go. Did, did God say let go? All right? So none of you will hold me accountable for something you let go of that you shouldn't have let go of. All right? It goes back, not circumstances, scripture stances. All right? If it ain't backed up by scripture, it ain't a good thing to go with. All right? Check this out. We forfeit God's protection when we handle things our, God's, our way. Think about David. He's fully under God's protection this entire time because he's letting God handle it. So we forfeit God's protection. We handle it. We lose out on the reward. Think about what, what things we could have lost out on. We prolong the conflict. Think about how longer some of our fights are because we try to stick our two cents in rather than letting God's uh, stuff get it done. So we prolong the conflict. We miss out on an opportunity for God to make our enemies live at peace with us. We miss out on an opportunity for God to handle that person. When we try to handle that person. So then we're not only robbing ourselves. We're now robbing God from the blessing God needs to be given. And we're robbing that person from a possible turnaround. That God was getting ready to do to him. Right? Seeking personal revenge isn't always the best way to go. Matter of fact, it's pretty much always the wrong way to go. David realized this. He trusts God. Let's trust God with our salvation. Let's trust God with our families. Let's take this ain't a New Year's sermon, but let's take 2020 as a year that we're going to trust God with everything. God, I trust you with my family. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my job. I trust you with with the day when I wake up in the morning. I read this and I didn't know it was going to fit. So I had it just at the bottom of my notes, but I think it fits pretty good. Write this down. This should be something you read every single morning right here. Good morning. This is God. I'll be handling all your problems today. I don't need your help at all. So relax and have a great day. I'm telling you, write that down. Put it on your mirror if y'all brush your teeth every morning. Now, if you don't brush your teeth, put it somewhere else. Put it in your underwear drawer. Everybody puts on underwear, right? Put it somewhere where you're going to see it every morning. Good morning. This is God. I'll be handling all your problems today. I don't need any of your help. So relax and have a great day. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is large and in charge. There ain't no mistaking about it, right? And things go better when we just leave it up to God. Right? Think about Jesus Christ, his own son. He allowed his own son to go through hardships for a long period of time. Why? So that his plan for us could work out. You ever thought about that? If he was willing to put his own son through that so that plans could work out for us, don't you think we should be able to trust him with anything then? Am I right? I mean, shouldn't we be able to trust him with every situation that, that, that comes in our life and, and know that God's got it and God's going to handle it his way? Obedience to God is built on trust on God. God can't do things right when we insist on doing things wrong. I don't know what part of the, the story we're in today, and I, and I don't know where we're at. And, and I didn't talk to Nate or Thomas, so I hope they're OK with this. If not, it's going to be a very awkward moment. Uh, that's OK. I've been in plenty of awkward moments in my life. But but he's getting ready to go next week. February, so next month. I was way off. But but he's getting ready to go overseas. He's going overseas. This man's leaving a wife and kids behind. Thomas is going to party and have a good time. Uh, yeah. All kidding aside, guys, we, we watch the news, okay? 
it, it might not be as easy as they may have assumed it was going to be months ago, years ago, whenever plans were made. I, I really would like these two gentlemen to come up front if they're comfortable with it. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in scripture where it says, lay on the hands of prayer of those that, 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 that you want to pray over. Uh, I'm not commanding anybody to get up and pray if you don't feel led to. That's one thing. But, uh, Nate and Thomas, if you guys, um, are open for it, um, Nate, if, if your family is more open for it as well, cause they'll be dealing with just as much grief and, and, and troubles. Um, if you want to lock kids in the closet, call me. We can make sure that, right? But I just want these guys to, to be up front and I want you to have the opportunity to pray over. Scripture says you have not sometimes cause you ask not. Okay? Scripture says that we're called as believers to pray for other believers when we know they're getting ready to go into some sort of trial or tribulation. No matter how easy or how hard each deployment will be, they're going into a trial and a tribulation of some sort. Okay? Because when we're away from our families and our comfort zones, that's when temptation strikes. Okay? So of, of many different levels. So let's beware. Scripture, Jesus looked at his side and said, beware of the temptation that may be coming. Let's beware of it. And let's suit these guys up for a bigger battle than a physical battle, a spiritual battle. That could be at the at the tone. Okay, so I'm asking these guys uh, and Nate's family to lean uh, right there, and uh, I'm gonna pray for us. And then while they play, if you guys feel led, please come and pray for them as well. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for the lessons that we're constantly learning through David's life, Lord God, through his his conflict with Saul, Lord God, from the the situations that sometimes he puts himself in, Lord God, and, and sometimes he's placed into, Lord God, because of Saul's evilness. And God, I pray that we don't use any excuse, Lord God, for a way not to handle something your way. Lord God, I pray that you encourage us, Lord God, with your strength to be obedient. God, I, I pray, Lord God, that you allow us to see a trust in you, Lord God, that will increase in obedience in you. And God, I pray for that, Lord God, for every single believer in this room. Lord, I pray as we gather over these two men, Lord God, and, and those that will be involved also with these deployments, Lord God, Lord, I just pray, God, that your will be done in every single area of our lives. God, that we will trust you. To handle every situation, Lord God. Trust you for protection. Trust you for the reward. And trust you in the outcome. God, we love you. In your great name we pray. Amen.